from 99.9 The Fan. This is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. And check us out on YouTube. Look up 99.9 The Fan Raleigh on YouTube, and you can watch a bunch of our segments. Uh, like yesterday, we had a really fun conversation with Steve Schwartz. He's a longtime high school basketball official. And obviously, he can't get into the minutiae how the ACC operates, but I did think it was a, an interesting look into how officials think, whether it's at the high school level or the college level or, or the pro level. And uh, officiating has been a hot topic so far this week. I'm sure it'll come up in some Hey Joe questions. Joe cracked the door, uh. All right, guys, first question here on Hey Joe comes from Canada Rob. Hey, Joe. When is this NC Sports gambling bill going to get passed once and for all? Buddy, like, it should have happened yesterday. It should have happened last year, but we're still waiting on this. It's, look, we we are actually having a, a conversation today, Julio, with our friend and colleague, Brian Murphy, over at WREL, WRELsportsfan.com. Brian is our sports investigative reporter, and he's been on the gambling beat. And they actually had just done a feature a week or two week a week or two ago about where things stand on sports wagering in the state of North Carolina. This is his speculation, but at 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 the rate that we're going, it's entirely possible that we could have wagering in the state of North Carolina by the Super Bowl of next year. So we're talking Super Bowl twenty twenty four. But what's it going to look like? Where can you gamble? Who can you gamble on? Is the college aspect going to be stripped out surely again. we they, don't know surely they can't pass that type of dude i don't know neutered i, I don't i don't put anything past the you're NCGA. right because the dixie classic and the black Sox of 1919 were brought up in in earnest right right for real for real yeah in the vote last time it doesn't make any sense to me I you want know. to send them all. Brian did say there was some education going on mm-hmm. with the legislators and the and the and the the votes. I would love to send them the Tim Donahue uh, ESPN, uh, not ESPN, Netflix documentary. Did you watch that? I haven't watched it yet. It's only about an hour. Okay, maybe maybe two. It's only one episode, but it's fascinating. Again, the checks and balances when it comes to gambling mm-hmm. and the FBI. And who is like, hey, there's a guy with a last name that ends in a vowel. Hey, there's a bunch of money being moved. Mm-hmm. Then they go through the phone records. Wait a second. He's talking to an NBA official on the regular. It's 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 funny. <laughs> oh, we just happen to have a wiretap for him. <laughs> it's it's funny to me that the attitude seems to be that professional sports gambling leads to more problems. More. No, 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 no. no. Actually, it prevents problems from happening. That's the key part. That's why we were so aghast at the idea of the Black Sox and the Dixie Classic scandals being brought up. That was not in a time where there was not legalized gambling. So a lot of folks get upset at the NFL most recently for some of the moves that they've made. Like Calvin Ridley with the Atlanta Falcons ends up making a bet while he's down in Florida. He's at the Hard Rock, right? And he wasn't there. He was on his phone. He was on his phone, right? And they immediately suspended him for a season for making a bet, right? And people are like, oh, how could you be in bed with the, with the, with the sports books? And then, isn't it hypocritical? No, it's actually not hypocritical because the sports books operate with zero speculation that what you're doing is fake or rigged. 
because that's when you lose when you lose trust in the betters, then it's a wrap for you. And if there's even a sniff of something wrong going on within the league, they're going to shut you down. That's why Calvin Calvin Ridley gets suspended. That's why uh, Bernie Kozar got pulled off a pregame radio broadcast because he had made some NFL bets. You don't want any of that associated with your product, and I don't blame the NFL for doing it. That's how you keep it legit, straight up. Next up. Say it ain't so, Joe. Say it ain't so. From Scott, hey, Joe, do you think Notre Dame is going to have 39 free throw attempts tonight? (laughs) Well, what's their tendencies? What are the – you know what? Let me go to Ken Palm real quick. I actually have not looked up Notre Dame's free throw rate. So let me go look that up uh, tonight. Are we going to get to Quavion Smith tonight? You already know my stance on this. I believe we will see Terquavion Smith tonight. I guess if he was out on Saturday night, he should be able to play a basketball game. Is that what you're saying? You already know my stance. All right. I'm just double-checking. No, I mean – Put in a couple of tags. One of them was responded, okay. and I, I do believe that will be the case tonight. Well, yes. tonight, folks, we have a battle of worsts. Notre Dame is actually the worst team in the ACC drawing fouls. Get into the line. Makes sense. They shoot a lot of threes. Going up against NC State, that is the worst at putting teams on the line. So there you go. So I guess Notre Dame is going to have a lot of uh, three shots at it from the free throw line this week, tonight, right? I like it when teams like this play. I mean, they're similar styles. Notre Dame, all, Mike's Brace teams always want to score, get up and down the floor. Should be a good game, actually. Next up. From Seth, are both UNC and Duke in danger of missing the tourney? <laughs> uh, uh, no, they're not. They're not in danger of missing the tournament. I think we'll be. I think we'll be fine on that. Uh, North Carolina is a metric starling so far. Duke, despite the fact that they're five and four in conference play, they're also a, you know they're in that category of good basketball teams that would be tournament teams right now. So I don't think we have anything to worry about. Uh, I will say this though, when it comes to the NCAA tournament and and the conversations around it, I actually was having this conversation online with a, a couple of ACC fans. The biggest problem that we have with conversations around the around the NCAA tournament are how we use net to drive a point. There's a couple problems with the NCAA's metric, their sorting tool. The first one is we don't know what goes in it. So we don't know what's weighted. And that it's updated daily, so therefore what you thought was a good win can magically be a bad win within a couple of days. I'll use North Carolina's win over NC State on Saturday. Going into the weekend, that was a quad one opportunity for North Carolina. Coming out of the weekend, it was no longer a quad one win. It was a quad two win. But do we really think that moving a team outside the top 30 into, like, say, 32 really changes a lot? How much does it really change? But then we get caught up in the, well, it's a quad two now, and now we don't value the quad twos as much as we do the quad ones. Okay, so that right there is a problem for me and how we talk about a moving target. And also, there's how the NCAA uses the net as a sorting tool. I mean, if it was just the thing that puts teams in the NCAA tournament, why do we even have a selection committee? So let's kind of detach ourselves from the day-to-day grind of the numbers and whether a team on January 24th is in danger of making the NCAA tournament. I'll say Carolina is ahead of where they were last year in terms of their NCAA tournament resume. I will say, well, for Duke, with three Q1 wins, they did some good work out of the conference, too, to set themselves up. 
But Carolina and Duke have the same problems the rest of the ACC teams do. What are your opportunities? Did you know beating Miami mattered to Duke on Saturday? Mm-hmm. Beating Pitt when they did mattered. You know, for NC State, would they mind terribly? By the way, did you see that Virginia Tech is two and seven in the league? Yeah, with wins over just Duke and Carolina. It's amazing. Is that not the reverse Herb Sendek? Honestly, that might make them the best program in the state. I remember Mark Gottfried saying multiple times that he would, like, he'd be at one of these golf tournaments. And they'd be like, "Coach," they're coming off of a Sweet Sixteen, and be like, "Man, you know, really close." But I just, I just really hope you could beat Duke in North Carolina last year. And he like would ask them. Let me let me ask you a question. Would you rather be like ACC champions, or would you rather that we just beat Duke and Carolina? Yeah. And he goes, the number of people who had to pause and be like, I don't know, coach. I don't you know. <laughs> no, you want to be the no. ACC champions. Priorities, but are, you know, priorities are screwed. Those man. wins matter. Those they wins do. matter. They so, uh, my boy Mike Young, getting it done against the teams that matter. Well, you have you have <laughs> your new. I guess we have to amend your death rules. Your death rules are like the one coach in the ACC. He's still my life, guy. He's still my your pick. life. If your life depended on it, you're gonna go with this guy. I guess it still applies because for a lot of folks, beating Duke and Carolina are the thing that matters the most. Correct. So I guess it still applies, even if he's two and seven in the ACC. But it would surprise you though with Hunter Couture back and the way that they played uh, last be, night. Would yeah. it surprise you if they made a run? No, it would not. Because surprise they me. did a lot of good things. Virginia Tech did a lot of good things out of the league. They were one of the few teams. Virginia Tech and Duke were one of the you know. Yeah, we and Virginia, and we also saw this. We actually saw this out of Virginia Tech last year too. Yes, uh, where they were able to get things going, put it together, and that's how they ended up winning the ACC tournament last year. Over Duke. Next up. Yeah. From Piper. Hey, Joe, do you think State's habitual complaining about the refs, even former players being ejected, has <laughs> put them in a situation similar to former UNC player Rashid Wallace, where they are at least partially responsible for the adversarial relationship they have with referees? Short answer is yes. Short answer, yes. How could you not? We're all humans. So if that's your rep, that's your rep, man. That's the short answer. You agree with that? Yeah, you and I have been in the building with the head of ACC officiating when one call goes the other way, and he has to say, do you really think that's helping right now? And then I have to say, probably not. Yeah, no, I I remember that. You and I have been there. I've, I've, I've been there for that, yes. I've been there for that. So it's interesting that you know we're trying to treat um, officiating as though nuclear secrets are being used here uh, and those types of things. I was going to make a a government documents joke, but it turns out like I might find government documents under my seat right now. They seem to be everywhere these days. Point being, let's think about it like you at work, right? Everybody has a reputation at work. I know what my reputation is at work. Joe, you know your reputation at work. So there's kind of like, there's a self-awareness that goes along with it. And we all know the people at work who don't know their reputation at work. And they kind of go about their business like, what's the big, what? I don't understand. And then when you commiserate with your other coworkers, you go, are you surprised by that? Or like, oh, here he goes again. Here she goes again. Like that kind of stuff. That's NC State. They're, they're NC State fans and NC State to a certain extent are the coworkers in your building that lack a self-awareness as to how they're viewed in the, in the ACC. And they don't understand that how they go about things, it doesn't help. Like Debbie Yao. I love Debbie Yao. She knows this. But man, was she in her zone on Saturday with the way the calls were going in NC State Carolina. Like for a second there, I bet you she regretted retiring. She's like, I want back in. I want back in. I feel alive. I feel I can feel this. She had like excitement. I could tell. She 
I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Debbie Yao actually had drafted an email to send to the league and then stashed it. She didn't send it. Like for old times sake. Do you think Debbie Yao broke off a text to John Swafford? Like a jokey joke like, hey, John, aren't you glad that we're both retired right now? Because, I mean, based on what just happened this weekend, man, would I be sending you tape. You think Debbie jokingly sent Swafford that, that text? Probably not, but yeah. in her own mind did, yes. Yes. So you see where I'm getting on this? Yeah. That's the rep. You can own it, or you can change it. Can't have it both ways. It's the OG. Alongside Joe Gillio, I'm Joe Ovius. If you missed anything from today, check it out on the Best of the OG podcast. Apple, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Five stars only, positive vibes only. We'll get into NIL and what happens when an NIL collective doesn't have the money they told you you were going to have next. So Florida had a quarterback that was committed to the Gators. The Gator Collective had $13 million promised to said recruit. Turns out they didn't really have $13 million for said recruit. So the recruit's like, um, I'm not going there now. I would like out of my national letter of intent. They granted him that. What are the repercussions of that? Are there anything that the school can do with that? It's going to change things? Pete Nakos, he is the business reporter for On3, the sports, the college sports business reporter for On3. And he joins us now on the Heaster Automotive Group Hotline. Pete, what's going on? How are you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, we did not promise you any NIL money to come on to this program, so thank you for not uh, backing out of this conversation. But all jokes aside, I am curious. How does how does a school like Florida, have, as this splashes out onto the mainstream, how do you recover from that when you go back onto the recruiting trail and the NIL collectives get involved and start telling you about what you could be making at Florida? I don't know if you ever recover. Um, I mean, yes, it will happen over time, but this next recruiting cycle is going to be really tough when you walk into a athlete's home and you weigh out to them, like, uh, this is what happened because there's going to be questions that need answered. And then on top of that, when they leave that home and, and leave those conversations with a recruit, uh, the, the other SEC coaches who come into those doors who are probably going to recruit the same athletes are going to twist the story and um, point out how Florida didn't fulfill its commitment. Florida um, never never paid Jaden Rashada what was promised. Um, it's it's, it's going to be really difficult. Um, and if an athlete truly wants to go to a school solely because of NIL or, or a possible contract, that's going to be extremely tough for Florida to stick in that recruitment. Pete, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you I understand economics, but I do believe that the market is always going to find its level. Explain to me how Jaden Rashad, a four-star recruit, kind of ended up in this bidding war to begin with. Was it just that he was one of the last available quarterbacks in the class? Yeah, I think there's a few factors. So, obviously, Jaden was one of the last, like, quote-unquote, good quarterbacks available. In, in, in the 2023 class um, at the same time. So he committed to Miami in June and he, he signed, uh, he was ready to, to sign with Miami and he had committed to them. And there was an NIL offer on the table at Miami that they felt confident in. Um, and then in November, when he flipped to Florida, there, there was an NIL deal constructed um, for reportedly 13 million in over four years. Um, and obviously, you're going to go where there's more money. It, it, it's common sense for the high school kid to, to go where there's more money. 
Um, and I think Jaden wanted to be at Florida from, from what I've heard from sources is that all along, he kind of felt like he wanted to go to Florida. Um, so I don't think it was always a money thing with Jaden, but I think that at the end of the day, there was the better offer at Florida and that's where he went. Pete Nakos joining us. He is the college sports business reporter for on three here on the Easter automotive group hotline alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovius. Okay. Let's get into how these, uh, these numbers get out there. Like it bothers me. We'll, we'll tie it into Drake may uh, North Carolina quarterback. It takes Mac Brown to say he was offered a bunch of stuff. Okay, cool. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. And then you get another coach at another place. Shout out to Pat Narduzzi, who does a Sirius XM interview. And he says, I heard $5 million. And then everybody runs with that. He's $5 million. Uh, Narduzzi, obviously, is, it hits close to home for him because of what happened with Jordan Addison, him leaving Pitt to go to USC. There were some crazy reports about he's making more than four other wide receivers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. How can we get to the bottom of who's actually making what? Is it even possible to find out who's really making what? So I'll just explain. So like uh, when Drake may like goes and signs like an NIL deal with like Bose. So he has an NIL deal with Bose. He like gifted some of his teammates. So nowhere does it say that Drake has to go disclose how much money that deal was. Right. 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 Um, at some institutions that they, they have that. And, and obviously that would be private. Um, so the, the, the numbers are never meant to be put out there. Mm hmm. Um, so in, in the case with Jaden Rashada or something, the numbers got out there because the contract leak or somebody at Florida started to open their mouth, but the, the, there is no, um, the NCAA does not have like a centralized system where deals are, are entered in like the, there's data available to crunch or try to figure out. And there's been ongoing conversations about creating that, that gatekeeping system almost, but, um, that is not in place right now. Um. And, and in this case, with the, the Jaden Rashada situation, the numbers were never meant to get out there. Pete, is any of this sustainable? Gosh, no. Yeah. No. Come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I mean, they're not sharing the money. They're basically passing the buck to the to these collectives, to the fan bases, to come up with the money on the so, side. In addition of, to the scholarship funds they're already donating to, Wolfpack Club, Tar Heel Club, Ram yeah. Club, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's just none of it seems sustainable to me, other than the Miami guy with a bazillion dollars handing out money Ruiz down there in Miami. So, real quick, I wouldn't say it's not sustainable. I guess I'll take that back real quick. I think that, like, you cannot go pay your quarterback $13 million over four years and, and have enough money in the bank. You can't have to pay the rest of the team. No, that is not sustainable. Um, do I think it's, like, uh, sustainable maybe paying a, a quarterback $1 million a year and then, and then maybe you're – using about four to $6 million to, to pay the rest of the team. I think that's sustainable. Um, and I think that these collectives are going to start to get really uh, innovative with how they kind of source the dollars. And, and maybe um, there's been talk I know of like, maybe to like invest the cash, right? So like maybe do you turn, try to turn a profit on the subscriptions, uh, things like that to try to uh, raise the amount of money available. Maybe but I don't think 13, you made you mentioned those Bose cards. Maybe it's the one where, you know, maybe it's a dollar. Maybe it's five. Oh yeah, maybe I, it's fifty. I, I always get a dollar. I, I never get anything more than a dollar. It's fine. I'll what is the max dollar. on those anyway? I think it's usually up to twenty dollars. Okay. But I've never had a twenty dollar one. No. All right, so Pete, we'll close on this. the 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 collectives are not the collectors are the collectives are not supposed to work in concert with the schools, right? Like that's that's theoretically how it works out. 
Yet, in the case of Florida, you have the bad look that was created by the collective that then trickles down to how Florida recruits. Are the schools so greedy that they're not going to finally just give in and, and find a way to put players on the payroll? Because if you're if you're upset about guys flipping, if you're upset about guys transferring because of a better deal that might go elsewhere, you know there's a real simple way to prevent this from happening. Sign them to contracts. I mean, are they, be, are, they, are they that greedy that they would never do it? I think that you could see in the next three to four years with college football playoff expansion that you could see um, conference television revenue from the expanded playoff end up in the players' hands okay. through um, whether it's like collective bargaining or a union or, or um, maybe the athletes are uh, classified as employees, which is where you get those contracts. Like, I, I, not really sure if that will happen, but I could see that happening. And, and a lot of experts believe that um, the, the college football playoff expansion will give that opportunity. Pete, we appreciate the time, man. Good insight. Uh, check it out. College sports business reporter for On3. Have a good uh, rest of the week.